I'm John Peterson, author of Playing at the World and Game Wizards. You are listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris, Peter, and Jessica talk about choosing players for your group, both for a home game and casting an actual play show. In the news, more Dragonlance previews, Dungeons and Dragons film release date has been delayed, Wizards of the Coast updates their content review policy, new releases for Starfinder, and more, plus a brand new sketch about an adventuring party's great new patron with some strings attached. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. For some reason, Gentry's Marvelous Exotic Zoo has seen fit to sponsor this podcast. Gentry Zoo claims to have the most dangerous collection of dinosaurs, aberrations, oozes, demons, devils, vermin, monsters, magical creatures, animated constructs, automatons, elementals, and Cthulhus. Enter at your own risk. The estimated survival chance is approximately 50%, and that sounds very reasonable to me. Maybe I can pick up a new familiar. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ And with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild Roleplayers. Russ as ever, it is a delight to be here. And today, joining us once more, it is a remarkably sylvan looking. It means elf. It's me. Uh, yes. I, I know, but I was just going to be sorry. Sorry, it's me, Jessica from <laughs> EM Publishing. I, didn't, I knew what it meant, but I just was thinking, okay. but why? But anyway, but that's fine. I'll go with it. It's the point he is. Yeah. I'm wearing headphones. <laughs> <laughs> so I do yeah, have pointy ears. Really, yeah. <laughs> I do have pointy elf-like ears, as you can see, but you couldn't see them at the time. That's all my mm. confusion. Um, but yeah, I am here. Well, well, I'm glad you're making effort to join us in our traditional dressing up for the podcast. I am, as ever, resplendent in my top hat and tails. Uh, yes. Russ has his wizard robes and stuff. Mm. And uh, let's go. So we have a listener question this week. It is from uh, a man called Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. A man called Jonathan? Yes, from the internet. And Jonathan asks, uh, ignoring the mechanics of how you'd make it work, which is nice because we don't actually have to have a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just asked, what do you, what's the one thing you'd like to see a game system be able to do? So what is the I thing you'd like... Yeah tabletop rpgs to be able to do but you don't have to tell me how to achieve it which is mm. a perfect question because it means oh, yeah. you just bring the idea but no reason to achieve it so russ you already so have something yes i have so i have yet to see a great a really great implementation of starship combat in rpgs and mm-hmm. um, i'll add a caveat to that i have not played star trek adventures that may or may not be great i couldn't tell you one way or okay. the other but as far as starship combat goes i've seen a lot of attempts some better than others, some really bad, some okay. I have yet to see really, really... No one's nailed it yet. No one's really nailed it yet. And I really want to see that. What would that look like? What do you define as great Starship Combat? What does well, that mean? Well, for me, Starship Combat tends to be more Star Trek. So mm-hmm. it tends to be capital ships rather than fighters zooming around. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, just that's the image in my head. But I recognise that it would have to accommodate fighters because... Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's that's, that's the that's, that's a big part of yeah, yeah yeah like Star Wars is full of that yeah. Star Trek mm-hmm. and stuff. But for me, yeah, it is kind of Star Trek. But the problem is when you have people on bridge positions in Star Trek and you go, okay, you're responsible for the shields and you're responsible for this and that. It's not fun. It's not the guy the guy who gets to put the shields up each round. It's not fun. That's not a game. Mm. That's you know. So and I've seen lots of ways to address that and lots of different attempts to do that. Um, I, I think ju- Stars Without Number does a fairly good. Fist up that I think I enjoyed spaceship combats in that. Mm. Uh, they've Again, got not what not one I've played. No, no. What would be fun is if you had to do the thing that the actors do in Star Trek, whereas if you <laughs> get hit, they go hit, and everybody has to like move. Yeah, that's okay. So that's that's a that's a good one. Answer the question. So Star Trek. So that's my one. Okay. What about you guys? Mine would be a way to mechanically allow people that aren't very charismatic or good at fast talking to play a character that has very high charisma. And I think there are quite a few games that do do that, but I'm not well, super familiar with them. Maybe. Um, I've I've seen a few attempts, but I haven't really seen it be satisfying or make the yeah. player feel like they are that cool charismatic I think person. King Arthur Pendragon, I think it's just called Pendragon, mm. is kind of renowned for having quite a good social system, but it's yeah. not a game I've played myself. But it's one of those sort of like Hall of Fame best RPG ever type of games. Yeah. By, by reputation, at least. It might be worth looking at that. To see I what think that I was. played Pendragon... This was about ten, uh, ten years ago I played it. Mm. But I don't remember it having that feeling. Because it's one of those mm. things, it's like, you know, you can play really strong characters and that's really easy to mechanically yeah. make a player feel very powerful and strong even though, you know, they can't pick up a toothpick in real life. But ah. a lot of systems, I find it really difficult to make Something you feel... Something just popped into yeah. my head. Oh yeah, the new yeah. the new version of the Doctor Who RPG. We saw yeah. a preview of that a few weeks ago, didn't we? Mm-hmm. It has social combat. It basically replaces spells mm-hmm. with quips and logical arguments and things like uh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and I, I mean, I couldn't tell you offhand exactly how they work, but basically, instead of casting a first level spell, you'll do a first level quip, or you'll do a first level logical argument, or something like that. Yeah. That could be a sort. Maybe of I don't know how but, well it works. But does that make you feel like? I don't yeah. know. I'm looking for the it to emoke experience. that emotion. And mm. I don't know if that's... I, yeah. I have no idea how you'd achieve that. But well, that's... You could just have like social hit points to do social damage. Yeah, but then we again... We don't that... have to resolve that... it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. very importantly, good. I was told I didn't have to have a solution because I that's had none. Uh, but okay. that's just... I, I wish I had found an RPG that has that mm. because I know there's some people I know that are like, I would love to play that character, but I just... it makes. I reckon it's yeah. out there, Jess. I reckon it's just a question of... Yeah. Finding it. All right, I let's, let's just play some more. RPGs. I reckon there's some awesome indie RPG out there that does that amazingly, and we yeah. just don't know what it is. Maybe I reckon. If, if, if you, if you, you have this, it, system, yeah, yeah, please tell me, and I will have them on not D and D to interview them about it and talk mm. about it as well. There you I'll go. Share with you, so please. So that leaves a Peter. Yes, yes. What would you do? Well, as you know, I am fond of my books. I'm very fond of very old science fiction. So mm-hmm. what I'd really like to see, the thing that would make me go, yeah, is an excellent implementation of a system with magic and psychic powers, where okay. they both worked together in a really nice way, and they felt really different, mm-hmm. but um, were balanced together and worked nicely. What's that the, would be what's, amazing. What's the distinction between psychic powers for you and just magic abilities that allow you to do 
what we would traditionally think of as that. I'll be no further questions at this time. You'll be accepting no further questions. I just... No, no, I all mean, right, that's fine, well, that's fine. Well, that's the thing. It's like, that is actually a really important question, Jessica. Yeah, because that's... Yeah. That's what my first it's, thought was. I was like, does magic well, not achieve no, that? But you know what? Well, no, just, he tries to answer it. Yes, there, is, there isn't really a difference, really. They're just different flavours of magic. Oh, oh, okay. oh, oh but, but magic comes from... But people are very, very sure that there is a difference. I know, I know yeah. there are... Internet arguments which rage about this. I know this, yes. that people have very strongly felt beliefs about so they, this. Okay. As far as I, I'm concerned, they're just words for yeah, All right. supernatural I'm stuff. I'm going to go yeah. into the EN World Forums and have a look at the arguments there. I'll get my answer <laughs> there, Peter. That's fine. Why don't you start one? No, <laughs> no, no. All right, yeah. I've not started a major argument on purpose on the forum. This, so this could be the way forwards. <laughs> all right, all right. Shall we, shall we move on and talk about the news? Yes, yes. Let's. Yes! News, 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 news. Okay, yes. so. What we got, start Ross? With. Mm-hmm. Wizard of the Ghost, yes. D&D, yes. Spelljammer. So you recall Ooh. the um, controversy over the Hadozi. Yes. We, yeah, which uh, we, we talked about, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that the apology the Wizard of the Ghost had to issue at the time. Uh, removing the whole is, pages of stuff off the internet. Is, is, mm-hmm. is removing content mm-hmm. and um, it's disappearing from reprints and things like that. Mm-hmm. So over on D&D Beyond, mm-hmm. Chris Perkins... Mm-hmm. has written a blog entry about mm-hmm. how, since then, they've changed the company's processes to improve the way that the D&D studio deals with harmful content and inclusivity. Mm-hmm. So obviously there was that racist content in Spelljammer's Adventure in Space, and that's mm-hmm. basically what has instigated this. But it's not it's not the only problem they've ever had, but yeah. that's, that's one that's recent and it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, instigated this. Yeah. So then you... It's, it's, a, it's a longish blog article, but then you mm. policy now beforehand it was up to the lead designer on any given book on any mm. given product how much external mm. review from cultural consultants happened oh. yeah. it was it was you know it was kind of compartmentalized in that way right and um, so different books got a different amount and as it turns oh. out spelljammer adventures in space didn't get any so really yeah this is how that got that slipped through wow because if they had done that wouldn't that wouldn't have that book wouldn't have been released as it was yeah it's the implication yeah I mean, there's a word that springs mind, it's hubris. But anyway, so, whatever. Well, um, the new process that they've now adopted <laughs> is that every yeah. word, illustration, and map, everything, yes. must be reviewed by multiple outside cultural consultants prior to publication. Hmm. So it's not it's no longer down to the individual lead designers of each book. Good. Every single thing has to go through cultural consultants. And there's yes. three steps where they have to do it mm-hmm. as well. Yes. It's not just once. Yeah. It has to, has to happen three times. Yeah. Good. It happens at the text creation phase, mm-hmm. which is basically the manuscript. At the yeah. Mm-hmm. Then the art creation phase, where yeah. everything's getting illustrated. So all that mm-hmm. goes through review. And then the final product mm. has to be reviewed again. Yeah. After all that's been done, it has to be reviewed again. Yeah. So that's three times that product gets looked at by cultural consultants. Good. So that that's, is a thing. That sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a good response. A high, a high standard for like indie publishers to meet, but I guess they have millions and millions and millions less eyeballs looking at it. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Um, I think that's good. I think. Hmm. Well, yeah. So they made a mistake. They're like, sorry, we tried to change it in the moment. Here's what we're doing to make sure we don't do it again. And I think hmm. when somebody, anybody, a corporation, an individual makes an error. That's the best mm. you can ask them to do. They can try yeah. and fix it in the moment and then say, and this is what I'm doing to try and make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Excellent. So, yes. I'm, I'm hoping cool. that there aren't any problems with Dragonlands. I think they probably would have spent quite, a bit of time having another look going, 
guys, yeah, just yeah. before we put this out, <laughs> shall we just have a quick? Well, especially because it oh, has, it will have been printed by now, won't it? Mm. So, yep. Yeah, but so it depends on the timeline with that. But mm. yes, presumably, yeah. Someone might have said, "Is it worth just taking the financial hit and stopping the the press?" Well, that's assuming there's anything wrong with it. We haven't seen mm. it or. It, yeah, that's it, what it, that, it, that's what I mean. But if if because when all the scandal came out with the last book, maybe they stopped, mm. had a look, and even at that point in the timeline, which we know they would have started the for, mm. you know the the yeah. logistics side of it, if there was something horrendously wrong, I'd imagine they go stop press. Yeah. We need to change. I, this. I, I, I think we'll probably find that Dragon Arts is going to come through, and it's going to have been thoroughly um, consulted on. Mm. Yes, yes. Is, is what, well, because it's be known delighted. to have had some issues. Mm. We talked about that all last yeah. week, anyway. Well, well but, we know that so. Spelljammer had zero nobody on the internet decided. disagreed with us at all. <laughs> Not one person had anything to say about our opinions last week. <laughs> that was sarcasm oh, for anyone that oh, is yeah. unfamiliar. But anyway, good for Wizards of the Coast. Are yes. Wizards of the Coast yeah. doing anything else? Russ? Yes. Speaking yes, of Dragon more, Lance, more, more than one other thing. So yeah. let's go on to <laughs> Tarkesis, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah. the five-headed dragon queen. Yes. Sometimes known as Tiamat in other worlds, in some iterations of D&D, and sometimes mm-hmm. not in other iterations of D&D. Mm-hmm. Who knows what it will be in the future, but at the moment, Tarkisius and Tiamat are the same entity, I believe, in 5e law. Mm-hmm. is the current situation, but that hasn't always been the case, and probably won't always be the case. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. It's um, for, they can make it what they like. It's fine. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Wizard of the Coast has released two art previews of Tarkisius. Mm-hmm. Yes. I will show you these art previews. So, um, this is two Ooh, pieces of art. Nice. One shows Tarkesis as the Dark Warrior, yep. which is one of her three guises. Mm. And one shows her as the Five-Headed Dragon. Yep. They haven't done... The third guise that she always traditionally had was the Seductress guise, mm. wasn't it? Yes. Which they uh, have not done a preview of, and I suspect won't be doing. I suspect no. it's going to be just Dark Warrior and mm. Five-Headed Dragon from now on. Yeah. Rather than rather than chainmail bikini and yeah, <laughs> I do love her yeah, armor great. though. It looks really intricate and ornate, and it's got like on this massive helm she's got. It's got the elements of the five yeah. of the different dragon heads. And, mm-hmm. Are there five there? There must. There should be. be. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, and there should be different jewels as well. Yeah. It's hard to see because it's a thing, but yeah, it's like a sort of gunmetal silver armor with. Gold slash brass engravings and details. It's almost certainly gold. Yeah, yeah. Her gloves She's not going to cheap out and go glass. Is her she? gloves have got spiky nails on them as well. well of course, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. extra so she, Like like dragon claws. Yeah, yeah of course. Exactly. Being being a greater goddess doesn't really need spikes and armor, but she. I cool. I don't know much about That's her. About not, I've not met her. Uh, <laughs> yet you know but you just follow her on instagram I she feels i will be now she feels <laughs> like she her aesthetic is very important to her mm, so yeah, yeah. and she feels quite dramatic because if you're a villain baddie that dresses like this yeah you know uh, and and you gotta say <laughs> she, she, she does know how to apply that eyeshadow with like nobody's business yeah i'm i'm, I'm and we can't see due to the conditions of the helm but we're entirely sure her wing tips are entirely on point yeah. yeah, I imagine. I imagine. I, I, now that we've alienated ninety-eight percent of the audience, uh, shall we move on? <laughs> anyway, oh, anyway, anyway, anyway. More anyway. about Tarkisis so, and Dragon yeah. Arts previews because yeah. there's more. Oh. Yeah, so we got um, from Beth Rimmels on EN World. Mm-hmm. She has posted a big preview of mm. the Dragon Arts Shadow of the Dragon Queen sort of combo bundle, including the Warriors of Kin, Kin, Kryn. Kryn. 
Ah. Warriors of Kryn, yes. board game that is paired with the adventure. Yes, yeah. that's the one which is all armies and so forth. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So she's got quite a lot of detail about this, so probably more than I can go into right now. And I think this is one of those, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, go and have a read of this, because it's quite mm-hmm. a large overview of the entire thing. So basically, um, they reiterate that Dragonlance is a war-based adventure. Um, the character is going to be in a big battle, and the D&D team has created these new rule subsystems of battles that are taking place in the middle of larger conflicts. So when you get to the mass combat sections in Shadow of the Dragon Queen, you can switch to the Warriors of Quinn. Quinn? I, keep, I can't say that word today. <laughs> the Warriors of Quinn, yes. The Warriors of Quinn board game, if you have both. If you don't have the board mm. game, then the adventure instructs you how to proceed differently. Mm. But if you have the board game, you can switch, when it comes to mass battle, into mm. the board game. Now, so the war game, though, isn't a mass battle game. It's not a war game. No. So no, what it is, oh. is kind of more like um, special ops missions in the middle of a war. Ah. Yeah, okay. So there'll be a war raging around you contextually, and yeah. you'll be doing this thing in, yeah. the, in, the, in the middle of the war. Yeah. So, but, which, I mean, asymmetric warfare is pretty much key to the D&D experience. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, uh, the way that they gave an illustration of it. So you think of Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Um, with a big battle at the end mm-hmm. and rather than the board game sort of playing out the big battle at the end yeah. what will happen happens, it zooms in to Eowyn fighting the Witch King okay so it's that yeah. sort of thing it zooms into bits and you play that bit and the battle's raging around you but what you do okay. in that bit is important and affects the, affects the actual larger battle right, yeah. right, right okay so it's like sort of doing little mini spotlights to keep it on the yeah. characters which is probably a good yeah. way to go, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I rather think it'd be very jarring. Although, I suppose, Chainmail back in the day. Hmm. Yeah. Back before even I was born. Goodness. Yeah. That long so, ago, eh? So there's some more information about the adventure itself. Mm-hmm. It's a bit spoilery, but it's just kind of how it starts off. So it's not super spoilery, I suppose. Mm. It's just an opening premise. No. So basically, a new group of heroes gather in a new area of the setting. Mm-hmm. It begins in the fishing village of Volger, uh, Vogler, sorry. Mm-hmm. The war has not yet begun. Nobody knows about the dragon armies. Nobody knows all this stuff yet. So it's a peaceful little fishing village. It's all lovely. Time, mm. Little town of Vogler. The Kingfisher um, festival is going on. Mm. And the players can compete in like uh, mini games, like fishing mini games and uh, just all this stuff. Then the first glimmers of war start to appear. Like some remote rumors start to emerge. Ogre mercenaries start to raid. And then Vogler eventually becomes the first stop. For, for an incursion by the Dragon Army. It was the very first mm-hmm. point where the Dragon Armies engage. Mm-hmm. So that sounds kind of fun. Um, it's, you know, it's set obviously before the original Dragon Army story, mm. possibly months or years before. Mm-hmm. Because when um, when the original Dragon Army story opens up, the war's been raging for ages up north, hasn't it? Uh, I don't like, know if it's like properly under siege. Been proper uh, ages. It, it's definitely it's been going on. People have heard the rumours, but it's not mm. it's not really got all that big. Mm. I think it sort of is meant to evoke things like Czechoslovakia getting knocked over at the start of World War Two, towards the start of mm. World War Two, that sort of jazz. Mm. Was, was how yeah. I interpreted it, but you know, not an expert could be wrong. Yeah. Well, my sense was that the war was properly raging up north mm, mm. and the rumours were reaching solace. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and, yeah. and people were kind of like, are these mm. rumours true? You know, that sort of thing. Mm. But but anyway, yeah, yes. um, they, they go on to talk about the book itself. So um, they point out that there's an awful lot of Dragonlance material out there, setting material. There's like 
probably over 100 novels, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a lot of them. There's hardcover setting books. There's tons of adventures. There's, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, and this is just one 200-page book. So what they're saying is, do not expect this to be a Dragonlance setting book. That's not what this is. Okay. So there's not going to be in-depth world building in this book. There's going to be bits that's relevant to the adventure and some character options, but it's not a setting book. It's an adventure. So we're probably talking about a chapter's worth of world building. Maybe, I guess, I would say, Mm -hmm. at the most. So what bits of the setting you do need to know will be revealed through play and through the adventure itself. Okay. Um, so we mentioned before that includes also includes three sort of short prelude adventures, and each of these adventures teaches you something about the world of Krim. Um, and these are evidence that the deities are returning to the world, an introduction to draconians, and learning about the mages of high sorcery. Those three things are the three things that the intro adventures introduce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Um, there's other little bits. Um, while it's quite quite sort of war there are some lighter moments. They talk about tinker gnomes um, having invented gnome flingers for rapid transportation, a catapult that <laughs> fires people. No. Unfortunately, the landing isn't built in. No, <laughs> no. I, I remember uh, gnome flingers. They were, they were very good. They had a variety of fail-safes to catch you. If mm-hmm. any of the nets didn't open in time, the last bit was a huge barrel opened up and dropped a bunch of sponges, and a second yes. barrel opened up and <laughs> yeah. dropped a massive pile of water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jessica yeah. looks confused. It's to help with the cleanup. Okay. I, I, I think she got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, Kenda will be a playable species. Mm-hmm. We don't know how that will manifest. That's going to be interesting to see. I mean, there was a Kenda playtest in the North Dakota, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of feedback, I think, on that. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how much it changed from that. Ma- Margaret Royce was like, oh, ev- ev- everyone loves me when I play Kenda. I'm like, yes, Margaret, I'm sure. Mm. But... Uh, <laughs> Gully Dwarves are not mentioned in it at all. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, I noticed that there weren't something you could play in the board game version. So, mm. Oh, but they're so cute. Yeah. I mean, they're, uh, it's like, yeah, I think, I think you could do stuff with it. Going back to the board game. Yes. Dragonlance Warriors of Corinne. I'm looking at a picture of it here and it's got cards. It's got a map. It's got miniatures. It's got tokens. Ooh. It's um, It's got lots of stuff. It's got all the miniatures cute miniatures. All the miniatures cute. All the miniatures they're too cute. Small for, they're too small for me to make out, I'm afraid. I can't tell you. They are unpainted, though. I can tell you that okay. much. So what you can do is you can bring your own characters into the board game. Yes. Or it comes with unpainted minis, but you can obviously substitute your own minis if, if mm. you want to. Yes. Um, so it's not a traditional war game, as they said before. Mm. You're not commanding units about what's happening around, happening around you. You're doing a special mission in the middle of the battle. Yeah. They also mentioned like you shouldn't open and read all the game components before beginning to play. Oh, okay. Because some elements come in shrimp shrink wrapped packages that mm. are marked "Do not open until" so that there are surprises in the game. Oh, like a legacy but that board makes game. Me, yeah, but that makes me think: How replayable is it then in that case? Sorry? Well, some legacy board games are, are not replayable at all, hmm. but others yeah. are, but you have to just re- reset it up. Yeah. But having said that, I've played some legacy board games again, obviously using a different board game, mm. but I played it mm. with different people, and it can be just as fun. Sometimes yeah. it's it's like when you watch a film with a twist, and then you sit and watch it with someone else that doesn't I know it's coming. So, yeah. Part yeah. of it is staring at the other person, waiting to see their reaction. Yeah, yeah waiting to see what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe yeah. it has that effect. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. But that sounds fun. I like that it has that element because I do like um, legacy games and um Yeah. There's recruit, veteran and legendary cards which stay sealed until indicated. 
Mm-hmm. Huh? Players will encounter NPCs from the from the actual adventure adventure in the board game, mm-hmm. and the board game also supports role playing. So if you get a shaking condition in the board game, when you resume the RPG side, you've still got the shaking condition. Oh, okay. So there's so there's there's, oh. it, there's crossover interaction with that. Okay. Do you think this will be a thing that uh, Wizards of the Coast does a lot of going forward? Well, they did say before, and I remember this a couple of months ago. This is an experiment. Mm-hmm. Yes. If this works, yeah. they might like look at doing that mm-hmm. in the Forgotten Realms or something, or doing mm-hmm. that somewhere else. So this is it's kind of like depends on how well this does is yeah. whether or not they'll do more. But I think they yeah. do like the idea of doing more. Yeah. I think it's interesting because this is really bringing it back to play that's in person. Because obviously, mm. with a board game, you have to physically be there to play yeah. it. And I think mm. so many new people to Dungeons and Dragons are playing it online and playing digitally. So I, mm. I wonder if it's a train a shift to try and get people more towards that. Uh, maybe yeah. interesting. Yeah, and they got a little bit of information on the first mission. Okay, a group of farmers needs to be rescued, and vile champions will impede the player's path. And then as the game progresses, the battles become more complex and bigger as the dragon army starts to overwhelm things. Mm. It does, it's an interesting experiment. I, I am interested. One thing it does, I do think it's interesting, though, that a board game like that is harder to play online, isn't it? You I can get so. things like Tabletop Simulator or, yeah. you know, things like that, that maybe. And yeah. But yeah, I imagine mm. this is, that sounds like something that's better played in person. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the adventure side of it can be played online easily enough, but the board game itself, a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, they haven't mentioned any indication they're releasing any digital version of the board game in some manner. No. But that seems like that would be a no-brainer to do that, so that people can play cooperatively on some kind of digital platform playing the board game. Yeah. Well, maybe it's something they're looking to do, because, you know, I know it's a long way away, but Wizards d and yeah. are working on like that. They have that online platform they're building. Yeah, yeah. And that could work with board games as well, because their design mm. is very much like you're at a table with minis, so yeah, mm. pretty use the same engine. Yeah, I guess we'll find out at some point. Mm. Mm. Right, what else have we got in the news? Well, how mm. you know, and in relatable news, how many times have you had to push back, move, or rearrange a D and D session or another TTRPG session? Too many. Often, yeah. Well, mm. it's the same for the Dungeons and Dragons movie. So they have pushed back their release date and rescheduled, which is, you know, excellent. It shows how well they understand their fan base and are being true to the setting. (laughs) Did it switch places with a new Scream film? It's been pushed back to the March 31st, 2023. So it's still in the same month. Uh, They haven't said why. Uh, People are speculating it's because there's lots of other movies being released around that time and they don't want competition. John Wick 4, that sort of thing. There's there's a lot going on. Um, But yeah, but it's been moved back and I just thought that was quite funny because it felt like a very D&D thing to do to rearrange your campaign start date so yeah, yeah. I mean that's so far ahead at the moment but that's what three or four months ahead at the moment yeah. but yeah. it's not like it's like makes a lot of difference at this stage does it yeah I know it was just I just mentioned yeah. it because I just thought it was funny because it was rearranging your D&D game so that's that's all I have to say about that fair enough <laughs> yeah fair enough. it made me chortle so yeah Hey, there's a book of interstellar species for Starfinder. Mm-hmm. Mm, nice. So it's got 25 playable species, and it's got 72 NPCs in it also. And that is coming out in November, which is now, uh, November the 29th, yep. 44.99. So if you're a Starfinder player and you want a whole bunch of new species to play, this is your thing. 
It is. It's also got, uh, from what I read, rules to create your own species. So if Mm. you're playing in space and, you know, the limit is your imagination there, it's got kind of rules so you can customise your own, you know, species, make their appearance, culture, abilities and stuff. So so if you make homebrew worlds in Starfinder, this has got you covered. Yeah, I've never played Starfinder. I like the idea of it, but I've never played it. Yeah, I've not played it either, but I like. I think the artwork on the cover is really cool because you look and there's, you know, it's got a great aesthetic, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. What else we got in the news? We got a five E sourcebook based on Fritz Lieber's Fafford and the Grey Mouser series. Oh yeah, didn't they have a Kickstarter for that, and now it's available in shops? Is that right? Correct. So that was an Indiegogo campaign in September. Okay, Goodman Games. And yeah, now yeah, it's yeah. hitting the stores for eleven ninety nine. It's a twenty four page book. It's not big. No, no. Um, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, it was like equivalent to one of our mini quick starters, really. Um, oh, but yeah, it hit store shelves in February. So backers okay. of the campaign are getting it first. Sort of, yeah, in the next couple of months, and then it will hit store shelves in in, in February. Cool. Mm. If you fancy that, yeah. yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Now this is interesting to me. So I'm not a three D printer person, and I won't be probably for years, until 3D printers become a lot better and cheaper and easier to use. Mm-hmm. Fair. And more convenient. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of them. Yeah. So one day, I suspect I will be a 3D printer person. Okay. Okay. I'm a Modifius, and I'm also a Star Trek person. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a Star Trek miniatures person. Okay. And also, 3D printing, it has to come in colour as well. I'm I feel like I know, I know where this is going. <laughs> so this is going with you can now print your own miniatures for Star Trek Adventures oh, Modifius yeah. have released STL files for two sets yep. of uh, miniatures the original series Landing Party yep. and the next generation Klingon Warband yeah so far mm. so you can print them out at home you're still going to paint them unfortunately but you can do that I do, is it like $40 for the STL files for the crew yes yeah and then you have um, to yeah. actually print them out yourself. Yes. And, I mean, that seems like it's that's like, it seems four dollars a minute yeah. well, for having, a digital file. I don't know. Having yeah. worked in manufacturing and mm. the amount of work that goes into creating a good STL file, yeah, it does, doesn't does seem unreasonable to me. But I don't know if that's because I've also, seen how they get created. It's also going to be a licensing side to that as well. because that's, yeah. yeah, sure. Um, so, on Kickstarter, yes. Monty Python comes to an end this week or next week oh how much money has it made so far (laughs) all of it 1.6 million dollars it's quite a lot I think it's going to squeak in at the 2 million I think it's going to squeak over to 2 million yeah probably which is a lot of money wow (laughs) awful lot of money (laughs) I don't know know how much of it John Cleese is getting but um, (laughs) Um, it's probably on like 90% royalties from it anyway gets a dead parrot (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> so that's, that's that's the thing that's happening. Um, I haven't backed it yet. I think I am going to, though. But I haven't backed it yet. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people will back it in the last few days. Mm-hmm. And it will shoot up past two million. That's my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of want it to. Mm. I like rooting for things to do really well. Yeah, so I do yeah. kind of want it to go past two million. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, people like it. People like it. Fair play to them. Yeah. So it's one thing I've noticed like over the last couple of years on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. There have been loads and loads and loads of Kickstarters about plants and herbalism for D&D 5e. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They keep happening. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, there's supposed to be like, sort of like half a dozen of them in the last couple of years yeah. or more. Some of them have done really well, like done hundreds of thousands, yeah. maybe, I think, did one do it like a, like close to a million or something. Mm. Um, it's just loads of them. Loads of them. It's a, it's a, there's one now. It's a, obviously a, yeah, it's obviously a topic yeah. that mm-hmm. people love. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's well, one now, yeah, as, 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 as you're mentioning. It's called Plants Nowhere to be Found. That they are unsatisfactory, the rules. There's like, you know, you've got, I mean, in your basic 5e, you've got rules for some poisons. Scrolled away in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's basic poison in the player's handbook. Mm. You have a herbalism kit, and how do you find herbs? Yeah. So. Just make it yeah. yourself. Well, uh, I, I, I think lots, lots of people have tried to tackle that. Mm. Yeah, yes. I, th- I, I, I think we've had a go at it, but I don't think it was like a big priority in A5E. Could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, we haven't done a book dedicated to it like some yeah. people have. There's been a few hardcover yeah. books dedicated to just that topic. Mm. Yeah. I, I um, think it's just a matter of space, really, because yeah. it's like. Yeah. Well, this one's 112 pages. Woo! Oh, Hardcover work. It's an Australian yeah. campaign. Nice. Um, it's got a week to go. It's funded. So you're going to get it. I don't know. If you haven't got enough hardcover books about plants in your D&D game, here's another one for you. You can never have enough hardcover books about plants. I just thought it was really interesting that it's a, it's a topic that comes up a lot. I think it's because there's an over... Yeah. You know, sometimes in different geek cultures, you get certain overlaps where... Mm. And I think there is an overlap to people that do like playing D&D and an overlap to mm. people that are really into, like, mushrooms. <laughs> which sounds... Yes, by I which think... we mean The Witcher... Uh, RPG, why which you, yeah. you mean vegans? Is that what you're saying? No, like yeah. people that are. Well, no, 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 not like just eating them, but just because I, I also find mushrooms interesting because they are just like bizarre. But like just do the study of them. I don't know. I can't know what it's called. There's there's a name, but I, mycology. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. My, mycology, perhaps. Mycology. Yeah, that would be the one. Yeah, uh, I think there is there's a really big overlap I've noticed in that from just mm-hmm. being in geek communities. Mm. Yeah, so maybe it's oh, just related to that. I thought this was a Grateful Dead joke coming up. My mistake. Anyway. Mm-hmm. No, um, I, yeah. no, I wasn't making a joke. I'm genuinely, it's a genuine observation no, no. that I think there's just an overlap of those two kind of niche communities that happen to like both like the same things and that's why yeah. it just comes together. Other things on Kickstarter, I saw something that was interesting because a few a couple of weeks back we were talking about religion, uh, mythology in games and there's mm. a book out which is around that so it's for 5e and it's called mm. Heretic's Guide to Devotion and Divinity um, okay. and it's got different ready to play relic hunters, it's got divine NPCs, different religious mm. uh, cults, uh, celestial foes and divine things so it's, it's very inspired by you know all that sort of thing mm. I just thought that was interesting so mm. um, nice. but yeah it's, it's recently started, it's got like 20 days to go and it's uh, made over 50 grand so it's, it's doing well um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting because we were literally talking about that the other week, and then I saw this right. um, the thing that's it's very much about that. Mm. What can I say? Always on the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Oh, it looks like they have uh, biblically correct angels in there, which are terrifying. <laughs> so... Marvelous. Yes. Yeah. Giant circles with eyes. It's the reason whenever they else. appear, they go, "Don't freak out. Don't be afraid." <laughs> I just got <laughs> a notification that my level up combat maneuver cards are on their way. Yeah. Just popped up. My EM publishing order has shipped. Yes. Mm. Looking forward to seeing them. I know. Me too. Yeah. That'll be good. Well, are we done with the news, or was there any more news? Um, the only other thing could be Paizo have announced their charity toy drive for the Toys of Boundless Wonder the holiday season mm-hmm. so different yep. game stores can be drop-off sites for people to do, uh, donate toys um and things for families in need during the holiday season yeah. which i thought was quite nice so it starts um, on november 25th 
and it ends on December 10th. Yeah, so you can go to your check if your game store's participating in that and then you can donate stuff. And that's in the United States. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Guys, guys, I've got some great news. Oh, wow. That is great news. What is? Well, well the fact that you have some great news. Oh, well, yes, I suppose it is. But don't you want to hear the great news? Oh, hey, guys, what's up? Oh, the Rogue has some great news. Oh, that is great news. No, no, the great news isn't that I have great news. Oh, that's disappointing. I could have used some great news. Yeah, way to get our hopes up. No, I mean, I do have some great news. You just said you didn't. No, I said... uh, Never mind. What do you guys think of Orca Cola? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I drink it every day. Well then, I really do have some great news for you. Are you sure? Yeah, we've we've been down this path before. No, I mean, yes. Uh, Just listen. Okay, but if it turns out you don't have any great news again, I'll be very upset. I did have some great news. I still do have some great news. Well, what... Is it then? Gosh, like pudding teeth. Yeah, just tell us this great news. Right, well, Orca-Cola has offered to sponsor us. Sponsor us? Oh, yes. They'll fund our adventures and provide us with equipment, gold and publicity. Well, that sounds most wonderful. Yeah, it really does. Well done, Rogue. That really was great news. Our money worries are over. I'm going to go off and tell my mum. Yes, there is There is a catch, though. Uh, what do you mean, there's a catch? Well, we do have to prominently display their logo and other branding whilst we slay dragons and smite fiends. Uh, display them how? Right, you mean we might have to carry a sign or something? No, no, not quite. It will be incorporated seamlessly into our clothing and gear. Hmm, how so? Well, for a start, you'll need to display the... Orca Cola logo on your shield. Mm, I mean, I suppose that's okay. I mean, it. I mean, it does only display my ancient family symbol going back for ten thousand years. What about me? What would I have to do? Well, you'd have to exchange those uh, grey robes for some nice new red and black robes. But that's not so terrible. I mean, these are getting pretty frayed anyway. Yeah. yeah. Additionally, all potions, healing or otherwise, will be stored in official Orca Cola bottles. You know, the cleric won't be pleased with that. Oh, she'll be fine with it now. What else? Well, there's also the matter of your battle cries, my knightly friend. My battle cries? Oh, yes. Instead of shouting, for honour and glory, every time you smite a foul fiend of the 19th hell, instead you'll need to shout, by the power of sucrose. By the power of sucrose? Yes, that's Orca's brand new slogan, by the power of sucrose. And... I have to shout that every time I slay a vile creature of the lower plains. Well, every time you slay anything, really. Even goblins? Even goblins. It it doesn't feel entirely, you know, relevant, does it? Oh, I'm sure you'll get used to it, my brave companion. Mm, There are some other changes for you too, wizard. Oh, for me? Oh, pray tell. Yes, they'll be renaming some of your spells. What do you mean, renaming some of my spells? Well, for example, Acid Splash will now be Cola Splash. Mm, I suppose that's okay. Shield will now be the Shield of Orca. Right. And as for your favourite... Oh, my precious fireball. Yes, 
Fire will now be called Sugar Bomb. Sugar Bomb? Well, I like it. You like it? Oh no, the other thing. I I think I think it's awful actually. Well, indeed, this is completely unacceptable. I mean, it is going you know a bit too far. Uh, sorry, guys, but you're just going to have to live with it. The deal, as they say, is done. Well, I haven't signed anything. No, neither have I. Well, I have. I insist that you abide by the new rules. Oh, yeah? Or what? You can't make us. If you don't, I and my orca-branded friends here will have something to say about it. Oh, so it has come to this, has it? You turncoat. Always chasing after the next gold piece. Uh, what would it be, my friends? We join Orca, or do we have a problem? <laughs> you bet we have a problem. I'll wear those robes over my dead body. So be it. Orca minions, attack! By the power of Sucrose! Sugar bomb! Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right. Don't forget patreon.com slash morris. Can I go now? This week, so the topic, thing to talk about, I was going to talk about choosing players for your game. And the reason I came across this is because I've been casting for Witherus, uh, casting for an actual play campaign. And I was thinking there's mm-hmm. a kind of process we do to that, which might be interesting for people to talk about if they're interested in playing an actual play cam- campaigns online. But I'm also aware that there's a process for even when you're not, you know, doing it online or anything, you're just like choosing people to be in your campaign and your game. There's probably a process people have for that and... I thought we could talk about that and how that works. Okay. Mm. Okay. But one of so. the limitations, which I kind of thought, which for us, I don't know if this speaks to you, is if you only have four friends, then you just invite them to play your game and then that's done. Four yeah. friends sounds like a lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I that. Um, um, I mean, for me, mm-hmm. I've had a long running gaming group for about 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the members, it's a bit ship of theseus Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like the members have changed over the years, but it's basically been the same ongoing group, and that, and just like occasionally one person will like come and one person will leave and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that's that. Yeah, and that's pretty much how it works with me. With with me, uh, I don't know if it's the same for you, Peter, because I go. Oh, I used to go to. I started off role playing at a role playing club, and you get mm-hmm. to play with lots of different people then because um, the club has about you know thirty forty people, and people offer different games every quarter. And you sign up to play them. So you end up playing with, you know, lots of different people and that's great and stuff. Uh, and so that meant I had a kind of quite a large community of people I knew who were role players. And occasionally some people would do home games. So they would have a specific campaign they want to run and they would ask people to, they knew to kind of join those those campaigns. Mm. Um, and I think it was just interesting the way people chose who to, who to invite to that. Because it wasn't always the people I like the most that I'm best friends with. Um, mm. It was sometimes like, I'm doing a specific type of campaign and I want to have different styles right, yeah. of players on the table so it's balanced. Mm. So, 
Wow. Yeah. So I just think, and mm. that's interesting, because um, some of my, one of my friends was did a game, and it was, I can't remember what it was for. Was it? I can't remember what it was, but they did a game. They didn't invite me. They said, just so you know, I didn't invite you to this because I didn't think it was your style of game. They just wanted to let me know so I didn't feel left out. And they were entirely mm-hmm. right. It wasn't my style of game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I was just thinking, I don't know, Peter, if you've had that sort of experience because you, I know you, um, Southampton, you know, Guild of Role Players, so you play lots of mm-hmm. different people there. But then when you run other games, who do you choose to, to ask to come play there? It really depends. I mean, I have run convention games and that is basically... Whoever rocks up is... Yeah, you, yeah. you don't really have so much choice. You don't choose, you, no. just, you just put it <laughs> out there, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That, that's like you know, mm-hmm. the extreme Wild West end. Mm-hmm. Um, and some games has been like, I'm running it in this particular time slot, like during the pandemic height of... Mm-hmm. It was like, I can run on a Friday morning. Who is available to play on a Friday mm-hmm. morning? And that sort of... That was a self-selecting group in there. It's a natural well. filter, yeah. It's just logistics yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah, and then it's like it's been like then the next stage up has been uh, I've run a game for my younger sister mm-hmm. uh, who's also my little sister, but she's like the height jokes, so we'll, we'll leave those be. Um, and for that, I actually knew that I was obviously going to have her, and then sort of I chose some people from people I knew who I thought would be quite good to have with her mm-hmm. because like they're quite welcoming um, and. A lot of the gamers that I know uh, tend to be men. And so finding people who weren't men to come and play in the game was also something that was worthwhile doing, I felt. Is that what Hudson was doing? That is what Hudson was doing. Yes. Ah, he was playing when a rogue. Dis- when he used to disappear off. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> absolute, absolute linchpin of the game, to be fair. Like, well, that's <laughs> we, we'd be going nowhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a bit of a problem with the disappearing miniatures and dice, but, you know. Mm. Well, such is life, such is life. Uh, and so that was online. And I also, and there's the stuff, stuff I did. And that was actually a game that I ran entirely Theatre of the Mind. Because okay. my sister doesn't have a computer, but she does have a phone and Discord. So I'm like, okay, we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing it Theatre mm. of the Mind. And people are like, but we're all grids. I'm like, well, that's nice. Yeah. yeah again. Mm. But yeah, I, I understand that you want grids, but we're going to have to, you're going to have to trust me. And to be fair, uh, people like Sly Flourish. Sly Flourish, Sly Flourish mm-hmm. did give some excellent advice on how to uh, run Fear of Mind, which we I think we'd had him on to talk about Return of the Dungeon Master, Lazy Dungeon Master. But yeah, yeah. games I want to run is it's going to be quite self-selecting because I really want to do, with Dungeon Devil's Guide, I really want to do a dungeon crawl, partly because mm-hmm. I really love dungeon crawls. Classic, mm. yeah. And this looks like a great opportunity, but I, I need it to be the sort of game I want to run where I'm going to have some fun running it. Mm-hmm. So I need it to be the right sort of people and they gonna need, they gonna, it's going to be the right sort of technology yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Like you've got, because uh, I try, if you mix it with people who don't, who can't use virtual lighting, uh, dynamic lighting, then I don't have as much fun because I'm like, I'm not running the game I want to be running. I'm having I'm running to a game at the moment. I am not using World 20. No, no, you're, um, what's it, Albert Albert Rodeo? Rodeo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so far, we haven't even used it for a grid. Mm-mm. We've used it for yeah. initial tracking and just showing pictures and maps and stuff, but no no actual grid or any kind of like that. But anyway, that's, again, off topic. But yeah. one problem I have with recruiting people, well, I say one problem I have, but I would quite like my gaming group to be a little more diverse than it is. Mm-hmm. It is quite white, middle-aged many. And don't get me wrong, I like the white middle-aged men. They are my friends. I mean, don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, a couple of them are my best friends, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, don't get me wrong. I don't w- not want to play games with those people. I just kind of wish that there would just maybe a couple of other people in there that weren't white middle-aged men. Just because it feels a little bit white middle-aged many. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's valid. I think, well, I think your gaming group does kind of sometimes, like we say, reflect your kind of friendship groups and things as well. So yeah, it can... Yeah. It, it can be like And I think that. generally white middle-aged men tend to be friends with other white middle-aged men, generally. I mean, yeah, if that's your experience, I guess that's that's the case. But, well, you know. Yeah. My gaming group is pretty split on on gender. Mm. And, you know, we have lots of people of different sexual orientations there as well. But yeah, but everyone in my group, uh, my long-term gaming group is white but, as well. But you, you met through a... Gaming club, though, didn't you? Well, this group met through my, the board game cafe I opened because yeah. we started so running gaming nights there. Yeah, I think that gives opportunity for a more wider sort of like demographic of people that you get to interact with. That's yeah. Whereas with me, it was just literally, literally friends I had and then friends of their friends, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, so it tends to demographically spread less, I guess, is the is the phrase. Yeah, I guess that's the case. I mean, and that's. That kind of leads me in a bit to when you're casting for an actual play, because we, uh, so so we're, we're so we're doing that. So obviously, actual plays against people playing online, and so you mm-hmm. have you're not limited by friends you know or, or, or you know kind of things like that. And we're and we have made a policy of only white middle aged men in this game. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. Um, so and I think we also have the benefit with actual play campaigns is that uh, uh, EM Worldwide that we can afford to pay people for their time, which takes the limiting factor about people's logistics away. Like you were saying, Peter, when you're doing just a game with your friends, it's kind of like who's available at this time. But I think when you're able to pay people, it means it takes away that factor a little bit. But yeah, we were... Cu- yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of people that do make a living doing that. Yeah, so yeah. so, so they can play. Um, but yeah, so we were just kind of casting for that. And I just thought it would be interesting to share kind of how we approach that, what we do. So when we were casting for our actual play campaign, exactly what you said, we wanted to have a diverse, different group of people because it makes it more interesting to tell a story when you have different people's perspectives and different people's ideas. And also, mm. if you're an audience member watching, it's nice to see yourself represented. So we wanted a mm. mix of, you know, people with different, you know, from different backgrounds and demographics and and, and things like that. And then the first four people we asked said no, they couldn't make it. Yeah, and so <laughs> then I said I'd yeah. do it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, so generally that was kind of important to us. So there's two different ways people get into actual plays and uh, companies either do open casting calls, uh, which we have done in the past, but we didn't for this one. That's where we put out, hey, we're looking for people. If you're an actual play performer, yeah, in the- get in touch with us because we would yeah. like to work with people. So in this case, we actually reached out specifically to people we liked. Because we wanted hmm. um, specific dynamics on the table and we want to die a diverse group of people so we want to kind of reach out for people instead of yeah. doing an open casting it involved me scrubbing through a lot of youtube videos trying to find yes. people talking so um <laughs> so and the way i selected and looked at that was some people are people we'd worked with before on um so this was this is casting for a campaign and we also sometimes do one shots and i think if you have the opportunity to do a one shot that's a really good way because it's almost like a paid audition for that company to work with because they know what you're like to work with and you know doing a one-shot game they've seen how you play and interact with their systems and stuff so that was really useful so we we approached some people that that have worked with us before for that uh not everyone has though um but when we're doing the casting one thing that's really important i'd say is make yourself really easy to find online so on all your social media kind of handles and things uh first of all have that you do this say that you're 
you know, you're an actual play performer or you do TTRPGs or something like that. So that it's really easy for me to see, oh, you do this sort of thing. So I can have a look mm-hmm. into you. Have a link and a way of contacting you in some way. Because some people didn't have an email linked and you couldn't message them unless you were a mutual or all these things. So I was like, I just have no way of reaching out to you and I, I would I would you. also add, have a link to you doing something and make sure that it's timestamped so someone can find you actually speaking rather than having to find it yes. in the middle of a four-hour video. The, like the, a showreel sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The ideal thing when I'm casting is we need to, if we've not worked with you before, we need to see what you are like during an actual play uh, to, to get your, see what kind of player you are and the sort of, you know, vibe you give off so if it'll fit on the oh, table. Yeah. And yeah, exactly what Russ said. Um, it's so useful to have links to say what you've been in so we can you can find it. But the issue with that, like Russ says, I sent you links. I was like, I'm considering inviting this person. Here's an episode that they're in of this to take a look at. And like you just said, you ended up scrubbing through and it just happened to be every time you were clicking through they weren't speaking or they weren't performing at that moment. I know, so, it's really hard to find a moment when they are. <laughs> and that happened lots of times as well, because mm-hmm. you sent me a lot of videos, and yeah. that happened in almost every single one. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't find an example of them actually speaking. So if you are an actual play performer and you're looking to get cast, if you can have like a show reel of just clips of you doing moments and stuff just put together somewhere that's easy to find, so it's so easy for me to just quickly have a look and, and send that. And this was the process we did as well. We did kind of like two stages. So I went and found people and made a shortlist to send to Russ, who will be the GM, to kind of have another look through and vet. Um, so if the easier you can make it to, for us to see what you do would be great. And I'd say with content as well, with other people for actual plays, it doesn't matter as much. It, it's ideal if you've been in another actual play, so I can see you playing that. But sometimes I'm willing to cast someone if you have some sort, sort of other online presence I can see to get an idea of, the type of person that you are so even if you just have a tiktok account where you do skits or comedy sketches that could be something really useful for me because then i can see and get an idea of the sort of performer and person that you are or if you do a podcast for example and i can listen to that and get a sense of what you're like uh, you know in a group dynamic or a setting that would be kind of really useful and important on that as well so i'd say if you want to get cast in an actual play campaign make sure you have content out there that's really easy for me to see what you're like and to, you know, and make it easy for me to find, make it really simple for me to, to, to share and, and have a look at what you do mm. and make it really clear that this is something you're doing and that you're interested in and available in doing um, and having your social. So refer to yourself and your social media handles as the thing you want to be. Be like, I'm an actual play performer. Even if your day job is working in retail or something at the moment, that's something you're aspiring to do. Online, tell me you're an actual play performer because then I know that that's what you're trying to do and that's what I can cast you as. So should we touch on the diversity angle as well? Because that was one of the things we were thinking about when we cast. Bearing Mm -hmm. in mind that I obviously am a white middle-aged guy. You are a... White lady. (laughs) White lady? Yeah. (laughs) I know you hesitated. You're like, I'm I'm in my early 30s. I don't think that counts as being middle-aged yet. I guess it it depends how long I'm going to live. It depends how long I'm going to live. Oh, there there is that as well. Uh, You know. I don't know how long I'm going to live, so it's hard to know what the midpoint's going to be. I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. um, Maybe so I'll pass it. <laughs> so how did, we, how did we approach that aspect of the casting? How did we approach that aspect of the casting? So basically, just pretty much just looking at, just contacting people that weren't all of the same demographic. Mm. I don't really know how to... Just, just contact a range of people. Just, con- just a range of different people. Yeah. I don't really know how to say it any more than that, really. 
Um, because I was, I what I did is first of all looked for people that I knew and that were that were actual performers we worked with that I enjoyed, and then I looked mm-hmm. at that group that I put together and said, are, are these people all the same? And they mm. were not. They happened to not be. So it it was fine. And then when we're doing the casting, some people couldn't weren't available and, and couldn't do those dates and times. So maybe there'll be another project. But anyway, um, so then then we looked out and we're like, okay, we've got a diversity gap here. Like everyone, you know, like it could be, and that could be anything. It could be like, hey, everyone we have cast so far is all the same gender. Let's look out in our casting now for somebody of you know a different gender, so it's not all the same. Mm. So that's kind of just what we're trying to do, just so the table was a bit balanced and different. But we were also looking in terms of diversity at like personality, Mm. because if you have four people in an actual play campaign that have similar personalities, it's not as interesting to watch. And also, you know, if, if you, if everyone is a really loud extrovert, it could be a bit overpowering as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Mm -hmm. as well as, as saying diversity in terms of people's, you know, you know, gender and people's backgrounds and and things like that. Um, it was also looking at just like just your personality, just your vibe, independent of that. Um, mm-hmm. What sort of presence are you going to bring to the table? Mm. It's just a sort of gut feeling thing as well. Like, mm-hmm. do I do I feel like I like this person? Yeah. I might not. You know, obviously you don't know the person mm-hmm. just looking at some bits of Twitch. There's no way you really would know whether you like the person or not. But you have to make a call at some point. You have to try and make some kind of judgment. So you're just kind of like, okay, do I get a good kind of feeling about this yeah. person? And we also have a look online to check on their social media profiles that they're not saying anything that is against our values as a company. So if somebody online was saying something we found to be bigoted that was like racist or homophobic or sexist, we'd probably be like, mm. we're probably not going to ask them to come play with us because we mm. don't like spending time with those people. Um, mm. So we also do a little look around on people's uh, public social media they have just to check their values and the type of things they support. I don't think we've ever like, run into a problem like that, though, have we? No, no. Um, I've, oh, have we? I've, well, I was looking at some actual play performers, and there are some that I took off my shortlist for that reason. Oh, okay. But they okay. did. But then these, these are the people I didn't send to you because the people I sent to you right, were people okay. I'd already yeah. spent that time having a look at. The people who had already not made it through the initial Jess filter. Yes, uh, and then yeah. I sent <laughs> it to get through the Russ filter to check if I had missed anything right. like okay. that. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. But, the, but yeah, so that's kind of the process that we had there. So we wanted to make sure we had uh, a nice group of people that have done actual plays before. A lot of them we've we've worked with before. Yeah, and I'm really excited about the group and we'll we'll post that on EN World Live when we're talking about that campaign. But I just thought it's, it was, it's, it is an interesting casting process because it's different from doing like acting casting and it's different from when you're inviting people to play in your own games at home. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you're, and I don't know, if people are interested in knowing more about that, I could maybe do some videos on TikTok answering questions about how to get cast in actual plays in a bit more detail. Just out of interest. So uh, people who might be thinking about doing something like this, um, mm-hmm. getting paid to perform an actual play. Yeah. I mean, we can't speak for anyone else, but what are we paying what are we? Well, we have standard rate. Well, mo- the majority of actual play campaigns are not paid. Hmm. So the, oh. the vast majority. And that is yeah. because when when you make an actual play campaign, like, so companies like us, so we're, as a publisher, we're doing yeah. an actual play campaign so that people can see... For advertising products. Uh, ...the game systems and it helps out of the process. Hmm. But you do not, as a publisher, you do not get your hmm. money back that you put in to it. 
and you should not expect it to do that it's very much a long game it's about presence it's not like other types of marketing where you'll you know i'll, I'll spend 10 10 grand and expect to get five grand back it doesn't work like that at all so actual plays is, is um much more about curating a community and it's about kind of long-term investment and a, an online presence hmm. so that's the first thing I'd say to any publishers considering doing that. So we have kind of set rates. So we pay uh, for someone running a game $125 per session and we pay $60 per performer that's acting as, as a player in it. And the GMs get paid more because they have a lot more prep to do and they have to kind of run the, the street. They have to do all this stuff and things in advance. Um, whereas for our players, we mostly expect them to kind of turn up and... and play really there's a little bit and mm. we do a session zero in advance where they can make characters and do lines and veils which isn't streamed and recorded uh, and we pay them for mm. that as well because that's we, we, yeah, we pay people work. for their time it's work yeah. yeah um so that's what we pay so we have kind of set standard rates so everyone kind of knows where they are with it um and we do that because we think it allows different types of people to be able to give their time to play because mm. um if we didn't pay people to do this we'd only get certain types of people that had yeah. you know the capacity or the, the the free time to do that yeah yeah and i think if we pay people we get more awesome people as well so mm. and it helps support them doing their work in tabletop properties um no. but that's what we kind of pay for that and and i think if you're a publisher asking people to do actual play campaigns you you should be paying people but i would always say to publishers do not expect to put a link in to buy the product in the thing and and you'll get back the money exactly that you've paid out because that's not mm. how actual play campaigns kind of yeah. work. Not unless you're critical role or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure wrong. there are exceptions, but generally, I mean, if mm. it, it could happen, and that's great. Yeah. yeah. But that shouldn't be your expectation. Yeah. Uh, I think we had Little Red Dot on to give us quite an in-depth talk about the various ways you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I think she was concentrating more on the when you gather a group of likely friends together. Mm-hmm. How does one sort out remuneration from? Uh, is it going to be on Twitch? Is it? It Twitch, is. It will be streaming. We haven't monetized no. our Twitch channel. No, because it's more of like a communications platform yeah. for that. Yeah, because if if you are a streamer and you are monetizing your stream, oh. that's a completely different thing. Like you can, yes. yeah, yeah, you can get subscription models. You can get people to pay while they're watching to influence certain things and. And then there's advertising and then, yeah, and how you distribute that among the stream is a, is a different sort of thing. Because we're a publisher and a company, it's a bit more direct for us. We'll like, you come and do this for X number of hours, we'll pay you this. So it's... um Yeah. It, it's sort yeah. of like a lengthy advert slash instructional video, mm-hmm. uh, which is also entertaining. Yeah. It's quite, quite, quite a unique thing, really. Because obviously you've had shows that are sponsored yeah, which by... Yeah, we do that I guess that's well, what yeah. we're doing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, uh, reminds me of those old American shows, which were all sponsored by, I don't know, mm. fairy washing up liquid or something, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's completely wrong, but, uh, like, mm. yeah. So well, that is a different like, thing we do with actual plays as well. So instead of just yeah. hosting and casting our own and running our own on our channel. So mm. as well as that, we, uh, we sponsor mm. other people that are running their own actual play shows on mm. their campaign. So we don't do any casting or anything like that. We just get them to tell us what their plans are, what they're doing. So we can have a check yeah. and check it's stuff we agree with. And we, we pay them $400 for sponsorship for kind of the quarter for running that. So that's a different and separate right. thing. Um, yeah. But if you are running an actual play campaign, you are wanting to monetize it. Looking for sponsorships is a really good way to do that. Uh, and if you are running Level Up Advanced 5th Edition, you can apply now for the first quarter of next year. So if you're running an actual play stream mm-hmm. there, if you go to the EM World Live website, uh, there's a link to sponsorship mm-hmm. on there. Mm. Exciting. Yeah. 
But yeah, so those are just my thoughts. I thought it was interesting talking about like casting for actual plays. And if yeah. you have any more questions, uh, do let me know. And I could do some short form videos on TikTok about it on our EM publishing page there Ooh. if you have any other questions about bits and pieces. What's the best way to get in contact? Not for me. I'll just like Facebook message you or something. I'm thinking for like listeners. Just on our social media <laughs> platforms. Yeah. And we're at EM Publishing RPG. Fantastic. Yeah. There's email addresses on our site too. Yeah. Mm. You need that. You should tell your friends. <laughs> not, not you guys, obviously. Your friends will really know about it. I'm talking to our listeners. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But that's... <laughs> With that, I think we've probably covered it. I that. think we have we covered it. In depth. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting. All right. Let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Doodly. Bye. Bye-bye. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. I have... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear those robes over my dead body. Would you like to try that again with an R instead of a W? Hmm? Robes, not wobes. Is that what I said? Yes. <laughs> he can wear wobes if he wants to. <laughs> That's well, the he's rabbit. a rescue rabbit, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the wobes. Okay. <laughs>